Welcome to this podcast from the Bay Church. We hope you're blessed by the message. To find out more, please visit our website at www.the-bay-church.org.uk. I want to transition to a different kind of conversation. Woo! Most of you guys still seem to be here. I'm impressed. There was a... <laughs> There was a couple dodgy chaps I think bugged out at one point. But did you have a something, Miss Lynn? Oh, you had your hand up. Oh, gotcha. Just keeping everything. Yeah. Whoa. Would you help me and do that again for me? And I'm probably going to need it a second time. Just because you said you're a pastor and you're like all like <laughs> servant. It's testing of your servanthood or whatever. Oh, man. Hey, you know what would really help me is if anybody wants to come. Again, I got my four seats up here. It would be great if someone would just, that would really help me. Who wants to serve the moment? Come on, come on, sit up here. I got four seats. It'd be, it'd be great. Just, I'd love for y'all to be closer. Oh, thank you. you your majesty. And yours. For me, I'm not going to ding it. I don't really ding. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Yeah. My man. Did they ever say my man around here? <laughs> it's not a very British <laughs> Unless you want a slap He said I think he said Unless I can't even try to say it in your accent Unless you want a slap I don't want a slap Oh perfect Thanks man Yeah I go through this stuff like water oh, No that wasn't No there should be no acknowledgement of that That's horrible Um I'd like to have a conversation with you. I've got some stuff I want to share, but you are so encouraged. In fact, almost right on the edge of demanded, if you would, to interrupt me and ask questions and make commentary. One thing I really remember from this church is the first time that I opened that up and I said, who wants the honor of the first question? And this was one year ago, 13 months ago. And the first question was, can you tell us about this Donald Trump thing? Remember those days back in the day when we were seeing this thing coming and we were worried or, or not, depending on your persuasion? It was you. It was you. Oh, that's right. You were sitting right there, too. You were, I remember. Yeah. Um, no, no, no sorry at all. I got to get this, this. But there was a, I know what my heart was at the time. And I said something along the lines of, well, first off, our king has not fallen off his throne, nor will he. And um, we weren't designed to live in fear and anxiety because we're of, children of the king. So, and and the, the world has gone through periods of, at that time, we assumed bad leadership and has survived up until now. You guys have had poor kings and queens and poor prime ministers. You probably have your list of good and bad, and, and somehow we're still here. Um. I don't know. I don't need to comment on Trump's job in the last hundred days, but uh, I, I would like to say that uh, spiritual maturity ceases to be anxious. And so does artistic maturity. Because when fear is always a result of the lack of identity. So if you know who you are in the situation, you don't have fear, Right? Do your worst. Whatever might happen has been done far worse in the past to someone else. I really doubt I'm going to be beheaded for my faith. It could happen. There's a handful, very small people that have had that happen recently. Right? It's horrible. But it was a lot higher percentage of us Christians getting beheaded a long time ago. I'm not worried about my stuff being taken away or my family splitting up because of the government, because I honor them, but they aren't really in charge. Yeah? And my father is. So why fear? This Brexit thing. Why fear? Why would you be afraid? I don't know if you're for it or against it. I don't really care. It kind of doesn't matter on this level. Of course it matters, but it doesn't really matter when you're a child of the king. It's all good. Sometimes 
And we were singing about it. Sometimes bad things happen. And sometimes good things happen. And when the bad things happen, the, the younger Christian is like, why is this happening? But the mature, mature Christian will look at this and say, oh, this is part of the process that he has me engaged on. Whatever it is. It's just part of the process. He's refining us. He's, he's pulling, pulling things out of us that we didn't know were there, that, that maybe we had to go through trauma in order for it to come out. Right? He's, he's using us down the road in the very place of our wounding. But while we're being wounded, it doesn't make a lot of sense until we understand that it's a process. Don't you think he designed our whole world and what's in here for a reason? So then why do we question the bad parts but just embrace the good? Because the kingdom of heaven up there is wonderful and phenomenal, whatever your eschatology and your, your theology of that is. And the kingdom can be here and is here because we are here and the king is in us. And yet, bad stuff happens. Why is that? Maybe he set it up that way for a reason. So don't fear every demon that you see coming around the corner. Because you're a believer. We weren't designed to fear it. We were designed to restore and redeem and reconcile. Even just that, that, I think you guys are totally free of it, but you know that whole like religious mindset that says, don't go to a, a pub. There's something wrong with, with being there, maybe. And, and we, might, we might go, remember that? I don't, I, I don't think you'll all think that. And I don't really drink much alcohol just because I don't like the taste, but I'm, I'm kind of hoping to go with me mates back to the pub after the service a little bit and just hang out or some version of that. And if, and if that means I don't get invited back, well, it's okay, I'm sorry. But, but it's not a justification at all, but Jesus hung out with the sinners and kind of was mad at the church people most of the time, in a sense, right? Because we were designed to have this virus of Jesus in us to infect our atmosphere and everything around us, right? So we don't fear alcoholism. We embrace connection with people so that God can move through us. We don't fear the demonic, right? We deal with it as we are, as we are taught. So why do we fear? Probably because we don't know who we are fully. Yeah. And I've been working on this for a while, and I'm still forming my own maturity and identity. You never really arrive. That's actually one of the tricks you ever, uh, uh, this whole thing. Do you, ever, do you ever know anybody who knows everything about God or spirituality, who has every gift in fullness? Right? So we weren't designed to have it all. We were designed to be in this continual process of growth. Right? So then, if you're a drummer and you look at this guy and you're like, oh my gosh, he's so good. What immaturity would say is, is I could never be that good. I'm going to put my drums away and go away because it's, it's, it's fruitless. But it's maturity that says, I see God in this. This is wonderful. And it's going to inspire me to grow in my gift and to go work on it and to, to sow into it. Because maturity is inspired, never intimidated. Maturity doesn't judge and put things on the rung of ladder of what's better or worse. Maturity is looking at our process. And maybe the only judgment is, am I more improved, more resonant, deeper than I was yesterday? Because I think that's how he sees it too. He really doesn't care about that new song you wrote as much as you think. You know, think about it. We put songs on pedestals. Because there's some songs that really attract us and resonate with us, and then there's some not so much. So the ones that really resonate with us, we listen to it all the time. It becomes part of the song of our heart. And in our, in our, there's a bit where we elevate. And then we use this fun one. We call it anointed. <laughs> now, I'm, this is going to push some buttons, I'm telling you right now. But, just, but stay with me. Okay? Because... When we call that song anointed, all of a sudden the other one isn't, or it's less anointed. Now there's this metric of how much anointed. How anointed was the service today? Oh, I give it about an 8.5 because it had a good beat and I could dance to it. What, what is the metric of how much anointing? Right? Because everyone has a different opinion. And even if you'll forgive me, even the pastor of the church, who is the arbiter of what we're going to do, has his opinion about the anointing. But his opinion is going to be different than the guy in the back who may have received far more from the service than the pastor was aware of. 
So when we go around and say, this speaker is anointed, this church is anointed, we're also saying these other things are not. And I would submit to you that maybe our awareness of how God is using those things that we don't see anointed is so stunted that we aren't perceiving everything that God's actually doing and thus creating a value judgment that's keeping us from growing. So consider that our spirit-filled culture, and when I don't have this conversation with people, I'm happy to use the word anointed the way all we all use it. It's fine. But if I get a chance to get this across, I, I think... Not that the word is bad, but it's created a negative effect in the way that we use it. Because the, if you go, it, there's no charismatic people work in the dictionary companies. <laughs> so if you look up the word anointed in the dictionary, it basically has two meanings. Number one, you're dumping some oil on somebody because there's a position they're going to walk into. So it's sort of like this signifying, kind of like the coronation of the king. You ever know, you ever wonder why coronation and coronary are connected? There's a whole thing there. It's awesome. Feel free to Google that. It'll blow your mind. Um, how, how God set up revelation in our inner body, but that's a different, different topic. But consider, what was I just saying? Because I got my tangent going. Two anointed. Two anointings in the dictionary. Thank you. Y'all are very wonderful. Gracious. So one is dumping of the oil, and then the second one is really God's blessings on your gifts. Right? And I know how we use it in spirit-filled circles. I've been one my whole life. I get it. But consider that maybe we've used the word anointing instead of the word preference. And then when we use the word anointing, it makes us, A, feel a little bit more spiritual. B, and please don't allow this button to be pushed. Be mature and hear what the truth might be. And don't be offended. Because maturity really isn't get offended. Consider that sometimes we've used this seemingly spiritual-sounding word to express our preference, but in actuality, we're sitting in the seat of God making a judgment that only he's allowed to judge by saying this is anointed and that's not. Maybe. Because we're not allowed to judge someone else's worship. We can have opinions. The pastor can steer it where it might need to go. We should be open to correction, absolutely. But when, some, when we come off the platform and somebody says, oh, Austin, worship was really good today, I will receive that affirmation, appreciate it. But in my mind, I'm thinking, well, maybe you enjoyed the music. Maybe it helped you get into the presence. But you can't really say the worship was good because only he gets to decide that. And this word anointed might be keeping us from growing. Because as soon as you say something's anointed, it all, by definition, it says that you aren't, perhaps. Or we aren't. And we create this two-tier system of these anointed CDs and these ones that aren't. Because maybe someone just got started and they're not really good at making music yet. Or this speaker is really anointed, and this speaker is not so much, because it didn't resonate with you. But let's call it preference, perhaps. Because somebody might have, might have really received something from it. In the interest of trying new things, this year the Lord put on me to write a book. I've never written a book before. I've been playing this my entire life. I don't have to think about it. It's my identity. I, I, I'm not, it's not my sole identity, but... I don't even, there's no process, I just do. It's like breathing, right? But I've never written a book before, and it was so hard because I had no muscles for it. So I've been playing this for 39 years, and I've been writing a book for just a couple of weeks when I started, and I finished this, my first book, okay? I and I brought some with me, and I'm going to explain in a second. But the trick is, I don't think I'm that good a writer in terms of I haven't got a lot of hours on task writing yet. I feel like my fifth or sixth book, I might really hit my stride in my own judgment because there's a, there's a, there's a, a level of skill you have to walk into, right? And if you buy my book, and Christmas is coming, so consider buying several copies for your friends and family. <laughs> but if you buy my book and you read it, you might get something out of it, or you might be a really serious writer and editor and sadly might discount it because it might be infantile in its level of skill, when there might be something really good in it for you. So when we start judging the CD that's not anointed, maybe there's something in there for you. So consider that maybe our culture sometimes brings things that aren't true to the fore. I'm here to tell you, you, each one of you, are creative. You're all artists. By that definition, you all have gifts and talents. 
and some of it's music and some of it's hospitality and some of it's brain surgery and some of it's every kind of human endeavor. Every single person, you can't say that God gave me no gifts. He doesn't do that. So if every one of us has a gift and every one of us is capable of original thought because we know that we were created to create, if that's true, then God right now would say, I bless your gifts. And thus you're all anointed. But that's counter to the cultural way we, we say you're anointed, right? The fancy people are not just to be, we're not just to consume their ministry and fund their ministry. That's a slavery mentality. That's an orphan thing. There's nothing wrong with it on the surface. But if you don't move past this into being a creator, to being a son and daughter, to move forward in your gifts and honor the Lord with growth and development, well, then we'll go back to this two-tier system. Each of you has something to give, something to, to, to bring to the table. Yeah? I would wager that most of us aren't moving forward in it with intentionality. Oh, that caught some people. So uh, I, I talk to flaky creative arts people and mu musician people all the time as well as you normals. Well, you guys, I can't really say are normals because of this whole thing, but it's a good thing. There's a real individual. There's a real individual. I can't speak English either. There's a real individuality in this church. I find this unique amongst the churches that I've gone to and been to, which would number in the thousands at this point. Because there's something really different about you guys. I was in Manchester Monday night, I guess. And this lady came up and says, well, where all are you going on this trip? And I said, okay, this place, this day, this place, this day. And then we, we're going to end our little trip in, with the, with, up in Whitley Bay at this church called the Bay. She says, oh, that church, they're crazy up there. <laughs> and I was like, I know. It's the best. And, but she said it extremely complimentary. It was like, it was cool, you know. Here's the thing. If that offends you, don't worry about it. Because if that's just who you are to them, you don't have to worry that, that you're crazy or that that's your reputation. Just be who you are and be okay with that. Don't worry about the labels others put. That's immaturity when you get freaked out over that. Yeah? I'm not worried about people saying, man, your music is weird. But I am concerned when... A, a, a strong musician in my life says, hey, you might just be overplaying a little bit. Maybe you could be a little more tasteful and be more communicative. Ooh, that sounds good. Because now I can grow. When I, when I finished my, the, the PDF of my book, I sent it to several people to look it over and, hey, what do you think? And I said, please, I, I, this is my first book, but I don't want you to tell me that you like it. My mom will do that. I, I'm good. God is already happy with me before I ever wrote the book. But I can accept that I'm a student of writing and this is my first shot at it, right? So I said, please tell me the constructive criticism. I don't have a writing coach. I don't, I'm not going to take writing classes at this point right now, maybe later. But give me the feedback that I need to grow. But most of the time in our immaturity, when we move out in something, we're, we, we, we kind of don't realize that we need people to tell us how good we are or that it's okay. I don't really need you to tell me how good that is. Now, if you, if, you re, if you buy the book and consider Christmas is coming and you could buy several copies for your friends and family, if you read it and you have some feedback from me, you can find my email address on the internet really easy if you just Google me. I would love to hear your feedback, positive or negative. You could tell me how wonderful it is that it changed your life and that God did it. That would be great. I would love that because I'm a human and that, that's not a bad thing. Right? But what I'm really looking for is but you could have said it this way. Or what about consider this strategy or this angle because I'll actually learn something and maybe by book five, I'll really start hitting my stride. Perhaps in whatever your gift and talent is, you've thrown out a little bit of it and been concerned about everybody liking it. So when I coach artists, I do a lot of mentoring and coaching of artists, one of the things we talk about is it's okay to just do your thing in secret that no one knows and grow. That's fine. It might just be something for you and God, and that's all it is. So that's no big deal. Do it. I'll help you grow in it. But nobody has to even be aware of it. But perhaps what's in your heart is to expose your creativity to others, and maybe it would resonate with someone else. So in that vein, one of the keys of knowing that you're starting to hit your stride is when you resonate with strangers. 
Because your family and your friends will never tell you you stink at whatever it is that you do, ever. Except maybe a really good mom. No, no offense to all the affirming moms in the room, okay? Because and my mom is one of those, right? But no one will tell you, you know, honey, you really shouldn't sing because you're really not that good at it. Almost no one will tell you that because everyone wants to be encouraging and not be the bad guy, okay? So that is a bubble, a false positive that's not really the reality of your level of growth. But it's beautiful. But when your work resonates with someone else that doesn't know you, ah, now you're hitting it. Like I was here last year. And I honestly, speaking and, and, and ministering in this way, well, I've been doing this for 39 years, but I've only been speaking for, I don't know, seven, eight years, and I don't get to do it very often, as often as I'd like. So I'm still kind of this student of this, of this process. For example, one of the things I'm realizing is I really wanted to make this a conversation interactive, and I've been talking for half an hour. <laughs> you know? You know, I need to catch it. I need to see where that's going. You see what I'm saying? So it's all about the growth and the process. Not the product. The product can have some value in that it might resonate with others. It represents a milestone of whatever the, your process is. But God really doesn't care about this book. God didn't specially anoint this book over somebody else's book. Some of you will read it and it'll change your life, and some of you read it and go, oh, okay, no problem. You might not even get finished with it. Yeah? But he's not really interested in the book. He's interested in my process. That's what I want to invest in. That's what I want to encourage you. That whatever your gift and talent is in, Check this out. When you sit down and improve, work on, study, practice, experiment, and learn from, and grow in whatever your gift and talent is, it in itself is an act of worship. It's a glorious act of worship. I don't know if you're a musician enough to know what scales are, but it's one of these fundamental things that all, mu all musicians have to learn. Da, 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 da. And I've probably logged tens of thousands of hours playing my scales in the last 35 years. It's a very fundamental thing that you do. And it's kind of not very fun because it's just the boring grunt work of figuring things out. Every craft has boring grunt work, right? But our spirit-filled culture kind of says, um, I'm going to impart to you the gifting of the blah, 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 or the prophetic word is spoken over our lives, and we hear it and receive it. We, and in that moment, we get really excited, and we should. You know, we get little teaching on how to really respond to prophetic words, so most of it don't write, don't write it down like we should, and most of us don't blah, 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 but that's a different story. But when you receive a prophetic word, when you get an impartation, most of us are too scared to get ahead of God, or we're going to go pray about it, and use that as a pillar to hide behind answering it and moving forward in it. So I've been seeing musicians get prophesied over the new song coming to the church and the new sound coming to the church since the 80s. And 99.9999999% of the people who've received the word about the new song and the new sound have never written a song since. We're waiting for the angel Gabriel to just magically wave the, fa the, the fairy dust on us. And, these, and oh my gosh, this song just appeared on my desk. <laughs> Hallelujah. No, the key to improving in your art and your creativity is doing a lot of bad art. One of the, I do songwriting clinics. Most people who write really great songs, they've written about 100 bad songs before you've heard it. And then here's a big mistake in our path to maturity is we compare our early efforts with somebody else's mature work and find ourselves lacking. And this is wrong. This is my first book. I go read these authors that I love. If I compare my early efforts with them, I would have never written it. Right? So maybe I need to write five books to get to the where I'm thinking. I, I usually say we write about 100 songs before you get to the good ones. But, I, but they, oh, uh, somebody comes in the office and says, oh, I really I feel called to be a songwriter. Okay. How many songs have you written? And they'll say four or five in the last couple of years. Okay. So maybe our problem is not that the angel Gabriel hasn't waved the fairy dust on you. Maybe it's that you haven't sat down and written a whole lot of songs and gotten better at it. Because then, when your skill improves in your craft as an act of worship, then you intentionally co-create with the Holy Spirit a more mature, resonant work in whatever your gifting and talent is. But in this area, I love the church. I love you guys. I love this church. I would submit that perhaps in our creativity, we have let every excuse get away, get in the way of our moving forward and growing in it and trying something and experimenting and learning and making a bunch of bad art at whatever your 
creative thing is. We're really a lazy bunch in this way. So as a father, I would tell you, I love you. Get off your whatever you, your, the British word is to say and start investing in this gift that God gave you and honor him by moving forward in it. You'll see some product here and there. Good. Yeah? Okay. I went more than I wanted to. I've got two years of curriculum, so I could go until Jesus comes back, probably. <laughs> Any questions? That I should have opened up a long time ago, but it's okay, because I'm growing in my process. Any questions at all, of any nature, about anything? I've been playing the keyboards for, for 55 years, and I recently retired from the band at church because I just felt I was old-fashioned. But you can't not be old-fashioned if you've been playing for 55 years. And I, I just love that you use a John Denver song and a, you know, and a, I, I I'm sorry, just a second. Everybody under 50, in the 70s, there was this guy named John Denver. <laughs> and he was a Buddhist, I think. Wasn't he a Buddhist? I think he was a Buddhist. And he wrote this love song to his wife, and the story is really pretty. And every, and, but I heard it when I was starting to know the Lord, and so I really thought it was a worship song up front. And tonight, earlier, I did some weird, mangled, crazy version of it on the fly. And that's what she's referencing. I loved hearing the John Denver song. Please go ahead. <laughs> I don't know what I'm going to say now, but I, I, yeah, sorry. Um, it's it's just that you know I'm not going to be writing songs like hill songs or you know w where the keyboard plays four notes for four minutes. You know, I I, I just can't bring myself to do that. I want to write you know melodies. <laughs> I want to write songs that people can sing. You're not just the same notes for ten. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> yeah, but I'm 50. I've been playing for 55 years, and I've just turned 63, so I'm allowed, aren't I? Yeah, yeah, you know, you know. But I mean, I, I'm just. My heritage was I grew up with with a family that sang folk music, blues, boogie woogie, musical. I, I, that's my heritage, you know. So that's what's coming out now, and, and so I've got all these songs I don't know what to do with. <laughs> well, let me, let me, can I respond? Yeah, yes, please. Uh, one thing, just in case, I doubt you have this, but just in case, I completely release you from any feeling of not feeling like you're useful anymore. And I say that to say we're all useful calling-wise to different things at different times, and our callings change for seasons. But the songs that you're talking about that you want to write, even if the only outlet, outlet is your private worship with him that you're writing songs, no matter the style of the current generation and that it might clash with yours, I would strongly encourage you to just create anyway, just as an act of worship to him and grow. And I would then also then add to, you, add to that that just like the John Denver song that came out when I was a baby, things that you could write now might, after you're gone, be used and formed and changed into 30 years from now, some guys doing one of your songs in some crazy worship service like I did tonight, right? But that in itself is a product, and it sounds good, but I'm just throwing it out there as a possibility. Your process should not be disengaged just because you're older and because the styles have changed. Most of what I'm doing stylistically, in my opinion, I might be more modern than I think I am, but I think of myself as a jazz and classical musician, and nobody listens to that anymore. Right? But I'm still going after it. Did, did, did anything really, especially the jazzier bits, didn't sound at all like Hillsong. It's intentional. I'm trying not to, because it's the sound of my heart. But to a lot of people, they're used to whatever the modern sound is, and I don't care, because this, this is the sound of my heart. And I'm not doing it for them. I'm doing it for him and for my process. And then a, a few small weird churches go, oh, we'd like to have you back. Why don't you do that some more? But it's rare because that's just the world we live in. But that, that, doesn't, that doesn't change the value of what I'm doing. Do you know this Adele person? Is she like almost the queen at this point right here? Okay. When her first big hit album came out, and I'm sorry for the music digression. We're going to get back into every, all the normal people stuff too. When Adele's first album came out, it was the big hit. In that year, 
Her one album by itself, you know, there's all these pop albums that are released. Her one album alone outsold not just all, all, you know, a classical artist or a jazz artist, but her album outsold every classical and every jazz album that was made and sold in that entire year. Thousands and thousands of CDs representing tens of thousands of musicians and work and, and investment and resources and art. But in terms of who's listening, when I was a kid, it was 6%. Now it's like one or less. Adele herself, with the one album, outsold every classical and jazz album. And I'm trying to do not just cla- jazzy-oriented worship, I'm excuse me, jazzy-oriented work, work music, but I'm trying to do it in a, in a worship context. And almost no churches get this, right? So I had to make a decision of, okay, am I going to do what I think is going to resonate more with people? Which is a good decision, there's nothing wrong with that. But, or am I going to go after the song of my heart, even if nobody gets it? So I chose the second one. N- neither, either choice is fine. It's totally cool. The Bethel people in the Hillsong, they're, they're writing the song of their heart. Go for it. The problem is, is that church-wide, we all say these are the anointed ones and, we're, and the others are not. Church-wide, we have this, this elevation of, of, of a core value that worship is successful when everyone enters in, visibly, hands singing, that's not how God judges it. And then we think we start thinking, well, how do we get people more invested in worship? And we'll go to the immaturity of let's feed them familiar songs so they'll enter in. There's nothing wrong with feeding you familiar songs. That's a beautiful thing, right? I did the John Denver song tonight and others that might be vaguely familiar. There's nothing wrong with familiarity. The problem is that our culture has decided that that copy-paste is enough. So we're successful by our metric if people are engaged, and then by that, let's, let's, let's be like everyone else that has been successful in getting people engaged. And again, it's, it's a form, in a sense, of slavery and orphan culture. When we were all created to create, every church should have its own unique identity, sound, and song. Every person now that now I'm be more conceptual that you might think I'm not a musician, but every person has their own song. Whatever gift and talent you have. And that should rise to the fore, whether anybody appreciates it ever or not. Because it's who you are, and I think it's part of why you're here. That we were created to co-create with the creator. Yeah. Make sense? Let's do another question or two. Yes, sir. See, now I figure what it is. The ones who really had the questions came up here and sat. So all you, all you dodgy people in the back, it's okay. You get a pass. It's not so much of a question. I just want to say that no, no matter what music you play, it can't get outdated because we're still singing Amazing Grace now. And we're still singing a lot of the other songs which was wrote for drunks and so forth. And we're still singing them now. We might put a different tune to them. So your tunes can't go out of date because they'll still be sung over and over again. Yes. Out of date. Can't be out of date. So can I, can I just ask you a question now? So do you, think, do you think you could pick up any of popular music, even without changing the words, and make them into a blessing to God? That's a great question. Did you guys hear the question in the back? Could we take any piece of music of any pop music of any nature and use it as a without changing the word and use it as a blessing to God now I'm um, we have this phrase in Texas going around the vinegar jug which means I think it's you got you guys call it but like go around the houses okay so I'm gonna get there in a minute but I'm gonna tie a couple things together if you will so what you got the, the short answer won't work so if you'll forgive me so the idea is, can we take any pop music without changing the words and use it to glorify God? On the surface, I'll say yes, but i got to explain it. First off, in terms of music, or really you could apply it to anything, can you take anything in the world that was made by a non-believer, ultimately, and use it to honor him? And this is a dicey area, and pastor, it would thrill me to death if right here in submission that you would come and correct what if I say something that's in contrary, and that won't bother me 
at all because I might learn something. Like I'm more interested in the process than these people liking me. Okay? Because this is a little bit of a dicey area. And I'm firm in what I think, but sometimes it's hard to get it across. Okay? I'm absolutely belief. Did you put it over here? Yeah, you go. I absolutely believe that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. That he created every frequency, every atom. He created man in his image. He created all of it, everything. So everything that we call creative is not created from a, something out of nothing like he did. But all we're really doing is recombining and remixing things. So everything that we've ever done as humans is remixing the elements that he put here. Now, he didn't put anything here that was unsacred. <laughs> Blessings. There is nothing, no one, and no place that is unsacred. Hold on. Now, some of you are understandably, hey, dude, but just bear with me for a second. Okay? But there are currently nothing that is unsacred, no person. Could you imagine a person that is so far gone that they're unredeemable? Of course not. But the same applies to all the other things that we've remixed into other things from his source. But there are two types of things, conceptually. There are sacred things, and there are desecrated things. Okay? And the desecrated things exist for Christians in our identity with the virus of Jesus Christ to restore and redeem and reclaim all of it, every person, every place, everything. Right? But when we look at something and decide that it's evil, sometimes we're fearing it, like we talked about earlier, or we dismiss it and discard it as we don't want that. When we're actually called to restore and redeem and reclaim everything. Now, there's a couple more points. Bear with me to get to your, the meat of your question. This bull, I, did I talk about it last time? I talk about it a lot of places. Most of you guys aren't, weren't here last time. So this bull is a Japanese singing bull. And it's, they, they have all, they're in different countries in Asia, and they're different sizes and different things are made out of. This one's made out of brass. And they're used in Asian temples for their uh, rites and rituals and ceremonies. And they, they, when you research it, the reason why they have this thing and the, the, they, they make it sound is um, to call forth spirits to commune with them, basically. But those spirits you and I would think of as, or understand as demonic, right? Because I don't think it's the angel Gabriel showing up at the Buddhist temple, in my opinion, right? So they're, they're evil spirits. So this thing here was created, in a sense, to be a demon caller. And the moment I said that, several of you winced inside because it's here in the house of God. Why would he bring that in, right? But nothing is unsacred, Everything is either sacred or it's been desecrated and must be restored and redeemed. And I don't have to recite a formula, but I can because maybe it'll make it a little easier for you. That I can declare right now by the anointing that all of us have, but that I have on my life as well, to restore and reclaim sound. To take this metal that's made of constituent elements that God made and that some human that made this was made by God. The guy that makes the singing bowls, he's God created. Right? So when you make something and your heart is impure, it doesn't make the product impure, in my opinion. Because the product started off as God. Started off as his stuff. Right? With me so far? Hold on. Thus, I can play this instrument for his glory. And in fact, in my opinion, as one of the several revelations that I have about it, that I can use it intentionally in spiritual warfare because in the very place that it was used to, as a demon caller, I can use it to then reverse its purpose and reclaim it for the glory. Right? It just, and just a real quick demonstration. And you want, you want to turn this up a little bit. Bro. So it has two ways of doing it. You strike it. Listen to this. Go ahead and turn it up. Yeah. You hear that? And then the, sing the singing part does this, and I'm doing like a champagne glass around the top. Mm 
anybody's concerned about the demons, it's just it's not a concern, right? Now, we can do some other person's John Denver kind of song and say, hey, I love these words. I think we did the, uh, well, my friends, the time has come all night long. And I changed, a, changed one word of let the spirit take control instead of let the, I think he says let the music take control or something. I, I haven't heard the original. I did change a little word because I felt like as an artist, if I could do that song by myself and not change the words and it still have a worship to him because I'm doing what I was created to do on a larger level. But maybe um, some demonic death metal song wouldn't be appropriate for me. Wait, hang on. Maybe a demonic death metal song, if I redid it in my weird Latin jazzy style and put the words up there, it may not help you guys get into worship. So, so, well, but so, so then there's a, I'm sorry, hold on to your question. So then there's an appropriateness of what would I use it for. So I could, I could, you, you might not like me after I say this, but I still play occasionally in, in function bands at a wedding. And I don't think any of those songs are used in churches for worship. And yet, I got the idea to do, well, my friends, the time has come, party caramba, because I sat in with a function band, I'm sight reading, that was the song they opened up with. And as soon as I'm playing it, I'm like, oh, this would be great to get this thing going. Well, my friends, let's raise the roof and have some fun. This is a praise call. Lionel Richie doesn't know the Lord. He didn't write it that way. But obviously, I could use that. But I could also make the case that on a concept level, that I could take the death metal song that might even be demonic, though I would have no reason to because it doesn't resonate with me. But I could sing it to the Lord and maybe it, and, and it have its own level of worship because everything worships. Everything that's made worships. Sometimes it's unintentional worship. Sometimes it's intentional. And the person that wrote the heavy metal death satanic song or whatever, the product might seem evil to us. But it's a child of God that wrote that song. And it's a child of God that has the gift of creativity that God put in him to write that song. Thus, I would make the case that even though the product is not something that seems to have any value to the church or might even be destructive, that just the fact that he was writing and creating, doing what he was created to do, unintentionally gave worship to the creator. Yeah? Great question. Let's do these two questions. One here, and I'll do the lady in the back and come back to you. And then we'll probably pray. What's your name, my lady? Natasha. Um, I have a few questions, but you can pick your favorite if you want. Um, so, so one is you talked. One is you talked about how we're not meant to judge worship. That's not our job. That's God's job. So I would like to hear a little bit more about how you think God judges worship. You talked a little bit about how He likes the process and stuff. Okay, um, and then one is uh, you talk about the process and learning. So, what have you learned about learning? How have you become a better learner? Ooh. I'll, I'll make a shout out. And my last one is um, when in the process of being creative, like one thing that I struggle with is kind of that like self-consciousness, or um, so and or criticism, self like judgment of self. So, how any tips? going to ask you what was number two and number three again so you might have to give me a quick reminder okay oh, yeah. so the first one was uh we talked about um that we're not really allowed to judge worship but god judges worship and so you're saying how does god judge worship so th I, I have one story i think that that nails it which is well you should i guess i don't know why i go back up here i can stay over here so um you guys could turn around or you're not i don't care um <laughs> so the first thing i would say is um when my son was little he took a wadded up piece of paper and he used a crayon. You guys use, that's a British word too, crayon? I'm, I'm teasing. I've asked that four times whenever, I, yeah, this month. Anyway, I'm revealing too much. Uh, but he would take a crayon and he would do his little stick figure of himself, a stick figure of me, labeled accordingly. And then he would bring it to me. And I'm like, oh, look at this. Look what he, look what my son made. This is so cool. It was this act of purity and love and I'm putting it on the refrigerator and I'm taking a picture. It's on my phone, on the, the, the home screen and, and I'm showing it off. It's great. It, by any possible measure, is poorly done art. Right? Of man. 
And yet, every single act of worship that we give to him, there's a part of the Father that receives it like that. Because he's not looking really to how good or bad it is. That's his judgment. Really. The, the bottom line is, it's all good. Nothing's unsacred. We're designed to restore and redeem. He's seeing things from a father's heart. Okay? And the second one, have I learned anything about learning? That's a good one. Um, I, I'll just take a quick stab because that's a big one. Uh, there is, the biggest thing about learning is to get a fire and a passion for whatever you want to learn. So many people get excited about, oh, I love pottery. But the problem is maybe their passion for pottery is not, is not sustainable. And so they'll d become a dabbler instead of an artist. And there's nothing wrong with dabbling in your interests. Go for it. But if you really want to grow in something, you have to step past dabbling into maybe a certain discipline. Biggest thing learning about learning right now is it's self-motivated now. Because in the past, you would go to a school or university and somebody would say, this is what you should learn, and you would go. The, the upside now is you can learn exactly what you want to anywhere. The downside is most of us don't have the motivation to, so there's this mil you know, quadrillions of hours of YouTube that would teach you anything you ever want to know, and most of us aren't really learning much from it. So it's a motivational thing. And then uh, I would add to, on a maturity level, you never stop needing a teacher or a mentor or somebody to help but you become more and more of a self-teacher the more you grow in it. So when I was six years old, I had two lessons a week on piano. Now I have like one a year, one every 18 months, because I'm guiding my other growth in the process. So, and the third one was? When you're creating. Yeah, again, that's also a bigger topic, but I would say, um, one of the biggest things there is to remember that you're a student and remember that you're not expected to have arrived yet. So if you go to an audition, let's say, let's say you're an actress and you, you go to your first audition, you can all imagine it's pretty scary. Yeah? How many of you have been nervous at a, at a job interview or an audition? Don't all put your hands up at once. It gets confusing. I'm just kidding. Right? We've all been nervous. But I, there's, there's a, it, it's okay to have a little bit of concern when it, maybe it's a job interview because the results of this might feed your family. That's a pressure. I get that. And I'm not saying we all have to have this. I'm saying here's this ideal that says I'm not expected to be the CEO of this company or to be all the problem solver. I'm just trying to get this job. I'm not expected to be the world's greatest actress. I'm just going through this audition as part of my process and maybe I'll get some constructive feedback to learn how to act better. So if I get the part or I don't get the part doesn't define me because what defines me is my process, not my product. And the more you integrate that into your thought process and spirit, the less your self-judgment, you know? And there's a whole bunch more, but that's a couple of things I would throw out. So I would also ask you, and this goes for anybody, Google my name, just get the spelling right, you'll get to my website, my email's there. If you want to continue the conversation, email me. I answer every one of them. So please do so. And I'll even Skype you or FaceTime you if you want to take it further. You had a question? Do you remember what it was? That's good. And then maybe just one more after this, if you guys don't mind. Well, just thank you for the worship just now. It was just amazing. And I really enjoyed it. I was really moved by it. Um, you said we shouldn't be saying that musician's anointed or that worship is anointed. So no, can you guys see her in the back? You, you, you shouldn't be saying um, that musician or that CD or that sermon was anointed or we should be rethinking that. So how, how, do, you, how do you give good feedback to a musician or a worship leader or a, s or a preacher then? You mean, oh, uh, well, let me ask, I'm going to say something and then you might have to, you might have to change your wording. Because when you said how do you give good feedback to a worship leader or somebody, my first thought is the meaning of, well, to me, good feedback is constructive. So rules without relationship brings death. So maybe get to know them first. And then say, hey, you could have done this or you could have done that. And I was kind of lost on the second song, but whatever. And that would be constructive criticism. But I think what you're saying is affirmation. Right. So how can we do that? Tell them, 
you, you loved, yeah, I've never had that question now. Yeah. What you should say, right, well, yeah, yeah. Um, encouragement is great. It, I, you know, there's nothing wrong with the word, honestly. It's just the, how it's gotten used has made this two-tier thing, right? But you could say, I love what you do. I love what, what you, what you do resonated with me. I felt like you could, you really helped me. See, here's the thing. Some worship leaders, most worship leaders of churches are really in a servant role. And that's okay. It's totally good that they are. They're serving the congregation to try to get you guys into the, into the presence and corporately do something together. I, I do that all the time in settings where I'm asked to. But my preference is when I've been given, crazily enough, an open canvas with people that will probably go with me and they're more, you, meaning you guys, more mature worshipers who I don't have to babysit into the presence, right? So what that does then, I get to be more myself. And now instead of a servant, I'm more of an artist. Instead of a, 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 a I hate the word slave. Let me say, instead of serving, now I'm becoming a son and I'm claiming ownership and I'm developing new things instead of just respect. You see what I'm saying? So someone might be in that role of servanthood, and you could say, you really helped me get into the presence, or I really liked that, that new chord you put on the bridge, if you ever heard that, or I really like this song, or I like your voice, or I like whatever, or you know what I mean? But uh, it's not that you can't use the word anointing, but there's other ways we can, uh, we can affirm them. And you, it, it, then I'll close with this. Unless, did you have a question, my dear? I was just checking. I thought your hand was up. Okay, thank you. So then I'll just, I'll kind of close with this idea. You could change the world easily by just encouraging the creativity in everyone around you. You can change the world by encouraging the creativity in everyone around you because what you're actually doing is you're channeling God's affirmation of our identity and giving it to others and letting that grow and develop. And then ideally, you have, and I think you do, you have a pastor or spiritual leaders that can nurture that and father that and release it. Though there's not a lot of those, you know, right? So I would encourage you to encourage that in others. Change the world. Lord Jesus, I ask you right now to everything that I've spoken, even every note that we played, every aspect or nuance of anything that happened tonight, if it's not of your truth, and goes contrary to your will, I ask you to make it of no effect, curse it at the root, that there is no uh, uh, reverberation from it from this point on in Jesus' name. Lord, I ask you to take anything that was of you, represented your truth, that you would make it a powerful seed that not just would sit inside of ourselves and feel good, but that it would grow and mature and develop and flower just like when you planted the Garden of Eden for us before we even showed up, that it had to flower and bear fruit and grow, that, Lord, we would start moving further in our spiritual maturity and our artistic maturity to glorify you on another level and to fulfill even more why you put us here on the planet. We love you, Lord, and we give you glory in Jesus' name, Father.